Welcome to episode 161 of x Labs, where we're going a little bit off the beaten path today. I guess mileage off that beaten path may vary. This might be way off for uh, some folks out there, but uh, I promise you, it'll all come back around. Today we're going to be taking a look at Runaways, volume 5, number 33. This had an April 2021 cover date. The story is called Come Away With Me, Part 2. I don't know if we need to read part one. I don't think we do. I think we'll be fine. Uh, written by uh, Rainbow Rowell. Art by Andres Genolet. Colors, D. Kniff. Letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna. Edits, Catherine Wisniewski. Nick Lowe, C.B. Sobolski. Cover price, $4. Went on sale February 3rd, 2021. Now we open with a credits page, which, uh, well, sadly doesn't include a roll call. Granted, um, I don't think there are any characters here that I don't know, but it's been like 15 years since I last read an issue of Runaways. And the art here is uh, quite a bit different than the uh, Adrian Alfona work that I'm accustomed to with this title. Uh, we do get a bit of a recap written out here. Uh, let's, uh, well, let's try to parse it. You see, there's this guy named Doc Justice. Now, people think that this is Los Angeles' hometown hero, but in actuality, he's a pretty bad dude. Now, only one of the runaways, Gert, did not trust him, and uh, he wanted a new J-team? The hell's a J-team? Anyway, uh, Doc Justice almost killed Carolina. Nico stopped this by casting her biggest spell ever. And now, the dust is settling, and the team is in flux. Now, Gert and Victor, Victor I can't remember at all, uh, they've gone back to high school. Uh, the kids have a pet Doombot who watches over their hostel uh, headquarters. Chase is dating again. I didn't know he wasn't, but uh, we'll take their word for it. And Gib, another new character, he's also in high school, and as it turns out, he is a great football player. Now, the only character we actually care about for the purposes of this program, Molly Hayes, doesn't even get a mention here. Oh, well. Well, let's get into it. Now, we open during a high school football game where the Griffith Park Sabretooths are being led to victory by their immortal Gibberum team member, Gib. Feels a little bit unfair, but uh, eh, we'll talk more about that later. Well, actually, the kids will. Now, back at the hostel HQ, Nico is being house mother, and she's trying to get the rest of the kids, Molly, Victor, Gib, and Gert, ready for school, so we can assume this is the following day. Now, she laments the fact that Chase isn't here to take them, as the arrangement was for Chase to do drop-offs and for Nico to do the pickups. It's worth noting, Nico's wearing a whatever t-shirt. Like, it's just a t-shirt with the word whatever on it. And I feel like that would be kind of cringe if it weren't such an anachronism. 
I, I gotta assume she's wearing it ironically. Anyway, the Doombot butler announces that he will take the kids to school. Just then, Chase saunters in looking like a, like a mix between Fabio and Maynard G. Krebs um, after being hit by a truck. Um, he's just completely out to lunch here and uh, doesn't even register what it means to be late. He's told, hey, you're late. And he's like, huh, what does that mean? He's too busy petting old lace to realize that, uh, you know, he's got responsibilities here. He finally comes around. He loads the kids into the uh, car. Do the runaways have a car? Is it a hovercraft? Bicycle built for six? I I don't know. Now, Nico playfully razzes him for being out all night, which is kind of a 180, as she was just cursing his name a minute ago. From here, we shift scenes to uh, Denny's or something, a little, you know, casual uh, dining establishment. Nico and Carolina are having some sourdough pancakes, which sounds absolutely disgusting, but I I can't say I wouldn't want to give them a try. Now, Carolina is in a pretty bad way. Now, her skin is pale, she's shivering. We heard Doc Justice did some stuff, so I'm guessing he really did a number on it here. Nico suggests that they get her into the hospital, as the symptoms have been lingering for weeks at this point. Carrie ain't feeling it, however, because she's afraid if she goes into a hospital, she'll find herself at the business end of an alien autopsy. Nico then asks if there's anything she can do. Carrie says only the sun and heat and all that good stuff can make her feel better, And so, bada-bing, the girls are on the beach on an uncharacteristically cloudy Southern California day. Nico uses her sorcery to make the clouds vamoose, and she and her pal can soak up some rays. Meanwhile, at school, Gert is having a bit of trouble fitting in. And, well, uh, from what I can remember, the little that I can remember from reading the original volume of Runaways, she wasn't always the most pleasant person to be around, was she? Anyway... During a routine uh, shelter-in-place drill, she winds up chatting up a fella named Manny, and they seem to hit it off pretty well. You see, she's scared of this drill, since, I mean, it's a a pretty scary thing. Now, this is in case of a school shooting, which uh, weren't things I had to worry about back in my day. Um, My wife, who teaches, has told me about these drills, uh, though she taught early elementary school-age kids who really didn't grasp what these drills actually meant. Um, they were just happy for the change of scenery and getting out of the classroom, which is kind of how Manny is during this scene. Uh, he's so desensitized to these drills that he's just happy that sometimes they get him out of gym class. It's a well-done scene, uh, taking on something horrifying and serious without insisting upon it or using it as a platform. Maybe we'll touch upon that later on. Now we stick with Gert, and she heads to gym class. Now, she's walking around the, you know, the track, the running track here. Uh, Rather than running, she's walking and gets yelled at for this by the coach. Uh, So she begins to jog. She's soon joined by her teammate, Victor Mancha, who I'm guessing she was at one time romantically involved with or nearly romantically involved with. Um, Victor Mancha, I gotta say here, he came after my time reading this series, so he's a completely new character to me. Now, Victor apparently used his hacking skills, because of course he did, to get the runaways enrolled in this here school. He tells Gert that he can hack it so it looks like she already passed gym if she doesn't, you know, feel like doing gym things. Gert tells him that she wants to get her diploma the right way. And they go back and forth a bit until the coach yells at them to, you know, cut the chatter. We jump to later on, and our heroes are at the Sabretooth's football game. Here, Molly questions whether or not it's fair for Gibb to be playing a team sport, considering he's 
you know, an immortal. And yeah, you know, she's got a point. Uh, Victor calls her out for playing sports with her own powers, to which she claims that she reins it in when in legit competition, though the look on her face signals that she knows she was just busted in a double standard. Now Manny squeezes by and has a brief moment with Gert. Oddly enough, we don't get to see Victor's reaction here, which, from what we've seen so far, I would have figured would would have been the entire point of this scene. Anyway... The Griffith Paw kids are absolutely cuckoo for old Gib. They chant his name, they hold signs. They're cuckoo, I tell ya. Now we jump to the next morning where, uh, well, hey, uh, Chase ain't there to bring the kids to school. Again. Now Nico is upset because she's going to be late to work at um, Hot Topic, I suppose, by the way she's dressed. Is Hot Topic even a thing anymore? Uh, maybe she works concessions at a skate park or something. I don't know. She's uh, not very professionally attired. Um, anyway, Victor suggests that they should just take the bus, to which Nico says that she doesn't want people to think that nobody loves them, which, as a kid who always rode the school bus, kind of cuts me where I live. So thanks, Nico, you asshole. Uh, Carolina arrives and volunteers to take the older kids to the high school, leaving Nico to drop Molly off at, uh, I'm assuming, junior high or middle school, since it's on the way to her job. And so we're left with just two of our runaways hanging at the hostel, Nico and Molly. Now Nico, rather than just dropping Molly off on her way to work, decides to call her a lift. Uh, Molly laments the fact that even with a cab, she'll have to walk a half mile as to not give away the secret location of their hostel. Just then, however, we get a loud crash. And we're finally getting to the why that we're talking about this book here today. Uh, We hear in the distance the Doombot make a reference to a malformed Canadian. Huh. We know any of those? I think we might. Now, Molly and Nico charge into the next room where... Wolverine and the Doombot are fitting to fight. Now, Wolverine is flanked by Pixie, by the way. Molly runs in and hoists Wolverine over her head, one-handed. She is powerful. Uh, Pixie's confused, and she assures Molly that they're here to help her. She even suggests that maybe Nico is controlling Molly, uh, you know, Molly's behavior via her magic, because she's very confused. Wolverine's able to wriggle free, and then he delivers a dropkick to the Doombot. He throws Molly over his shoulder and yells for Pixie to port them home. However, before he before she can, Nico ixnays her hex. Then Chase and Olace run in and join the fracas. Wolverine tells them that this is a rescue mission, and by golly, he ain't gonna stop till the rescuing is done. Nico asserts that Molly isn't in need of a rescue, and Molly agrees. Chase then tells Wolverine that they won't let them take Molly to their prison island. To which Pixie corrects them. It's not a prison, it's a utopia. Huh. Uh, Chase invites Wolverine to, quote, do his worst. Which is probably the dumbest thing anybody's ever said to Wolverine in the history of ever. Now we wrap up the issue with Pixie settling everybody's tea kettles here. Now she insists that nobody is ever forcibly taken to Krakoa. And in fact, they're only here because they'd gotten a distress call from Molly asking them to bring her to Krakoa. <laughs> That's where we leave it. Uh, we will pick up with this uh, a little bit down the line. It's a, I believe this is a three-part story, and uh, we will cover all three parts here. But next time out, it's Excalibur Day.
But let's not worry about that until we absolutely have to. Instead, let's talk about this issue of Runaways here. And you know, my notes here, it's very brief notes here, because there's not a whole heck of a lot to say about the issue. Um, I started by writing, you know, I really wasn't sure what to expect here, but that would be a lie. Because I know exactly what I expected here. I expected to absolutely despise this issue. I was expecting to hate this and think it was just the worst thing ever. And I'm happy to report that I was completely wrong. I, uh, I quite enjoyed this. I thought this was a lot of fun. A uh, little silly, but I mean, it's a, it's a teen book. It's perfectly fine to be silly every now and again here. I, I was not expecting to come away from this one positive, and I thought this was one just the, you know, the completionist in me uh, got me to grab this and want to discuss it here because trying to make this like an all-encompassing, you know, current-era X-Men sort of repository or uh, resource, I suppose, and I figured to leave something like this out that does involve some of our characters, it does involve Krakoa, it does involve, you know, uh, mutant-human relations. I thought this was uh, certainly one we should at least pay a little bit of attention to. And like I said, I was expecting to just grin and bear it. I thought this was going to be, like, really, really tough to get through, especially with my first flip-through. Um, just seeing these kids at school, I, I was expecting... I was expecting a lot of cringe. I was expecting a lot of uh, stuff that I'm just really not a fan of in comics here. But instead, what we got was... Um, I mean, I don't know what kids do these days. I don't know how kids behave, but this felt very, very natural. Given the, you know, circumstances, of course, and the, you know, fantastical lives that these children lead, of course. But, uh, had a good time with it. I don't have very many takeaways, though, because I'm lacking context, you know? Um, this is part two of a story. And I'll hand it to, uh, to the creative team here. I didn't feel too tremendously lost. And I think that really uh, says something when you're, when we purposely don't read a part one of a story, and we actually omit the part one, we hop into part two, and we're able to kind of get it. You know, I'm sure had we read the first part, we'd get a little bit more out of it, but I wasn't like trying to research everything that went into this because I really didn't need to know much more than what was on the recap page. So that was, uh, that was pretty well done there. Um, suppose we ought to talk about uh, Wolverine. <laughs> he is our, uh, our you know, Krakoan representative here, him and Pixie. And I tell you, it's a little bit exciting to see the X-Men crossover. I mean, I don't want to see them crossover all the time in the Marvel Universe. We've, we've had quite enough of that over the past, you know, 10, 15 years where uh, the books, you know, I mean, every book should just be generic Marvel team because everybody's in every book. Here, it's nice that we've had this break where the X-Men are sort of on their own, and then we can see them popping into other people's stories seldomly, you know? And when, when, it, when it happens, it actually feels like it, it matters. And here we have Wolverine on a rescue mission for, uh, you know, the mutant character Molly Hayes, who evidently uh, sent a distress call. At least that's what we're made to believe at this point. Would I want to see Molly go to Krakoa? Sure, why not? I think she'd fit in fine with, uh, you know, some of our younger mutants. I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Would I like to see her stay with the Runaways? Sure, why not? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a no-lose situation here as far as the Molly Hayes character is concerned. And I would like to see her just continue being in comics. 
Doesn't matter if it's in The Runaways, doesn't matter if it's in an X-Book, doesn't matter if it's in both, you know. I am a little bit, uh, I don't want to say nervous or trepidatious, but we've seen the X-Men crossover with other characters before in with hopes of, like, expanding the Krakoan population, and it doesn't always work out so great. I mean, in the time we've been doing this program, we've seen them run into, like, with Namor, like, two or three times, and it's never worked out. Uh, we had a whole miniseries uh, based around Franklin Richards, and that ultimately didn't work out. Uh, we had that Deadpool issue with a Jello mold guy, a Jelby, I think it was. He uh, was going to stay on Krakoa, but he's still in the Deadpool book on Staten Island, so he's not on Krakoa. And here we got Molly Hayes, another you know another go-to for you know not exclusively X-Men mutant characters. So I'm actually a bit surprised it took them this long to get to Molly. Uh, of course, you know, like Pixie said, they don't force anyone to go, so they were waiting for a, a distress call or a uh, an ask, I suppose. So, still, I, I'm I'm a bit surprised that this is the first, at least to my knowledge, that we're seeing of Molly in this post Hoxpox era. Another thing I wanted to talk about here, and it goes back to my initial concerns in checking this book out, and I was concerned that there was going to be a lot of platforming in this book. And we actually had an opportunity to see something like that, that play out during the, uh, the shelter-in-place drill, where I feel like other writers would have used that as a platform to make a statement uh, about you know the state of things. Here, uh, Rainbow Rowell does something even more horrifying, in my opinion. And horrifying in the very best way, in really really just showing what a different world it is right now, in that she showed uh, Manny, you know, the, the, the fellow that Gert was talking to, being kind of desensitized to it. I think that's the scariest thing of all, is that school shootings are a thing that children are aware of and understand the need to drill for them. And that is... Uh, I think that is probably a, a stronger statement than any sort of a political statement you could make in that it actually feels, it hits home more, I feel, because this is just normal for, you know, school-age kids now. And you know me, I don't do politics on this show. I'm not a political guy. So the way this scene was presented to me uh, worked better than any sort of uh, attempt at platforming could do uh, really, really just worked, you know, and it felt genuine and it felt sincere. And I don't even know if uh, I'm reading too much into it, but that was my takeaway from that scene. It was just like this kid is so desensitized to this horrible thing that, I mean, I never had to experience it, and I don't know that I would be able to wrap my mind around it. It's just normal now, and that's very, very unfortunate. But I feel like that scene was handled very, very well, so I do want to give credit there. Let's briefly touch on the art here, because that was another thing I was a little uh, nervous about, a little iffy about. And, uh, you know, the first page or two was a little bit different than, you know, what I come to expect from a current year Marvel comic. But uh, by the time we were done with the issue, I found myself really enjoying it. I thought it fit the tone of the book very, very well. And, uh, you know, shocked as I am to say this, I don't don't think I have any complaints about this. <laughs> I really don't. And uh, I am, in fact, looking forward to the uh, next couple of parts 
I've actually got to make a physical trip to the comic shop uh, tomorrow, actually, to pick up the third and final part. So uh, we will be covering them. They'll be coming in the uh, in the coming weeks here, I hope. This little uh, excursion off the beaten path is uh, at least somewhat enjoyable, or at least a, a nice little novelty, a nice little nod for something uh, not quite on the island, you know. But uh, that's all I got to say about Runaways for today. Let's hop into the mailbag and see what other folks have to say about some other stuff. Now we're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Excalibur number 16. He says, reading Excalibur number 16, I find myself wondering if Teeny Howard has been listening to X-Lapsed. If so, I'm sorry. We see a number of characters questioning the direction of the series and Richter ineffectively defending it. It is always a bad sign when your characters are criticizing your plot. Ultimately, the search for Betsy is the first time I've truly felt there's a legitimate reason for these characters to want to go to Otherworld. It's also nice to see Rogue as the leader. I was never convinced by Betsy as a team leader. It seems she was given that role because she was Captain Britain, as though everyone forgot that her beautiful blonde brother Brian was not the leader of the original Excalibur. It's funny you say that because I think one of my uh, ongoing criticisms of the Excalibur book is that We've spent, you know, uh, 16, uh, 17 issues trying to legitimize Betsy in this role. And I feel like if we're spending two years worth of comics to legitimize a character, then maybe, maybe we're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know that anybody's buying Betsy as leader, uh, despite the fact that, you know, I, I guess she spoke to the Queen that one time, right? Um, and Pete Wisdom seems to uh, really dig her, but... Yeah, she hasn't done anything to lead her E um, as it pertains to effectively leading a team here. Uh, up until Exit 10s, an argument can be made that Apocalypse was running this team. You know, he basically put the band together. He orchestrated all the stuff in Otherworld, uh, you know, per- pertaining to Avalon and, uh, and putting uh, Richter on the path of uh, magic. So I think Apocalypse was our leader. <laughs> and now... Uh, it's definitely Rogue. Rogue is the one who is kind of hurting the cats here, you know? She's keeping everybody in line and everywhere, everybody where they need to be, uh, putting together plans. Of course, it's all in service of finding Betsy for reasons, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, this uh, actually is the first time that uh, there's a reason for these folks to be in Otherworld here. And uh, when you get to Excalibur number 17, you're going to find out that they're not there again. I don't know why they're not there. We didn't get a scene with them leaving, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely the old Excalibur have we missed an issue situation. Uh, Damien continues, It's interesting to hear you compare Maggie to Valeria Richards. There's definitely an element of her in that character, but I saw her more as, as more similar to Winter from Miracle Man. Maybe it's the Alan Moore connections between Captain Britain and Miracle Man being fresh in my mind from reading your blogs on Captain Britain, but I see Alan Moore's influence all over Excalibur. That's a good point. That's a really good point that uh, I didn't even consider. Yes, she is definitely reminiscent of Winter, who is, of course, uh, Miracle Man's daughter for uh, folks who uh, haven't checked out Miracle Man. And uh, her arrival in Miracle Man was, was, uh, caused the book to have like a weird little Surgeon General's warning on the cover here because it shows some very graphic childbirth. I believe it was... Uh, Miracle Man number eight, the Eclipse Comics version. I could be mistaken on that number, but I think it was seven, eight, or nine, but I think it was eight. But uh, yes, it's very true. 
very true. There, there are some similarities there, for sure. Uh, Damien continues, Of course, my main reaction to Maggie is that she's clearly created by Americans, as no British person would call a child Maggie, as it instantly evokes Margaret Thatcher. People have visceral reactions to that name that would make it a real albatross around the neck of any child. I love it when you bring out these points, because I would have never thought about that. I've heard of Margaret Thatcher, of course. Um, I just couldn't tell you a whole heck of a lot about her. I know uh, Grant Morrison wrote something called St. Swithin's Day, and I think the I think the, the fella in that was uh, going to assassinate her on St. Swithin's Day, which is a holiday, I assume. I don't know much about that either. I'm not a worldly fellow. I've, uh, I've uh, made that clear a time or two. But, uh, no, it's funny that you mention that because, certainly, that is something that a uh, British writer probably would have, uh, would have noticed, right? Um, now, I don't know what uh, Teeny Howard's politics are. I've got a sneaking suspicion of what they are, so I don't think this is intentional. Um, and I think Maggie was created by Colin Bunn, so I doubt it was in any sort of reverence to, uh, to Margaret Thatcher, uh, Otherwise, we probably would have read a story on Bleeding Cool about Al Ewing blocking him on Twitter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to stop uh, making those comments. <clears throat> um, anyway, back to Damien's letter here. Uh, you questioned the use of the title Gloriana for Megan. This comes from Captain Britain in MI13, where Paul Cornell linked her to very specifically to Celtic legends. It's a great series, but I think ultimately harmed the concept of Otherworld by tying Roma, Merlin, and Saturnine to Arthurian legend, whereas before they had more in common with sci-fi concepts like the Guardians and Green Lantern. Hopefully the search for Betsy will be a fun hunt through alternate realities and not a D&D campaign. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. I've heard a lot of good things about Captain Britain and MI-13, and I believe I have a handful of the issues. I've just never had the opportunity to go through them. I, I think I started to, and... Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I think it opened with a Dracula arc, and uh, it's not my jam. So I think I noped out of that one before I even hit the ground in that one. But uh, I, I gotta agree here. I think Otherworld, trying to make sense of Otherworld, or trying to link Otherworld to anything that isn't like utterly mad is uh, to its detriment. Um, we saw even during Exit Tens here, as zany and as whimsical as the competitions got, you know, the more the more I questioned them, but at the same time, the more I kind of just let myself go and just tried to enjoy them for what they were. Uh, I go back to the, you know, the Alan Moore, the, I'm sorry, the Alan Davis stories uh, from the early 90s, where Otherworld is just a weird and wacky place. And those are the kind of Otherworld stories I want to read, not, as you put it here, not the D&D campaign, which is uh, what I think hurt... Uh, other world since we started this volume of Excalibur. I mean, we've got druids walking around, we've got witches and knights and gargoyles. It's a little too um, zeroed in on like the fantasy elements rather than just the the bat stuff insanity that uh, that, that I want to see from another world story. Uh, Damien concludes with, "I should end with a positive. My first reaction upon reading this issue was, what a load of well-drawn nonsense. And I maintain that Marcus Toe is doing phenomenal work. If only he had a better story to illustrate. Until, anyway, until Mr. Sinister goes off capes, make my next lapsed. 
Well, we know that the Sinister is not going off capes anytime soon. We know that he would rather wear a dirty one than let it air out, because if he let it wear out, then he if he let it air out, then he wouldn't be wearing it. So he is going to be all in on capes, and uh, I totally agree. Marcus Toe is uh, I gotta figure out how to say that fella's name. I'm afraid it's Two Toe Tao. I don't know. If anyone knows, please uh, please help a marble mouthed uh, New Yorker out here. Uh, but the work in Excalibur is very, very pretty. I am a big fan of his work here, and uh, definitely, I agree. If if only the story were a bit better, it would be a top-tier book. But thank you so much for writing in and also for pointing out that, uh, that Maggie bit, which totally went over uh, this ignorant American's head. So thank you, Damien. Uh, next, we've got a special letter from Professor Allen. Now, he says... I don't think we've ever connected before, but I wanted to drop you a line to tell you how much I've enjoyed the X-Lab show, and how impressed I've been at the accomplishment of such a long run of daily episodes. I don't read the current X-books, but I use the show as my way to keep up with X-happenings. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much, Alan. Um, I've long admired your work, and it's so cool to know that, uh, that you're listening to this program. It really, really means a lot. Please don't be a stranger, and I will. Uh, I'll try to do the same. I, I did send you an email uh, this uh, this morning, so hopefully you got that, and uh, hope to hear from you again soon. So thank you. Uh, we're gonna wrap up with Evan, who's giving us a tip. You know, I'd asked everyone to help me out. Uh, those of you who are more in tune with the wider Marvel universe, if there are any things, well, like the book we covered today, like Runaways, a book that would not be on my radar, would not be. When I'm ordering on DCBS, I would have scrolled right past Runaways, you know? So I asked for tips. You guys know more than I do about the wider Marvel Universe. So if you know anything that uh, we ought to cover, or at least discuss on the show, drop me a line and let me know. And Evan did just that. He says the following. I haven't read it, but I stumbled on some articles that said in Strange Academy number 5, Magneto and Beast invited the Scarlet Witch to Krakoa. Reading further, it seems like the invitations were extended by email, so I'm not sure it necessitates another episode or if it's been followed up on since. Well, that's pretty wild. And at first, I, I didn't know Strange Academy was a book, so <laughs> I learned something there. And second, I found, uh, I think I found the same article that Evan did here. I'm going to grab the issue the next time I hit the shops here, just in case there's more to the story. Uh, Also, just to have it as a uh, curio, I guess. But I do have those emails in question that I did find on that, maybe that same article that Evan had scoped out here. Now, it's almost like a, well, it's not quite an info page, but it's just a page of of Wanda's emails here. And uh, one of them that came on uh, a Wednesday at 11.45 a.m. is from Henry McCoy. The subject is Krakoa Beckins. It reads, Dearest Wanda, Hank again. I know you're not technically a mutant, but I'd love for you to try a Krakoa gate. Huh. Then a little bit earlier, uh, we have one from Magneto, and Magneto's email address is magneto at krakoa.mute. M-U-T. This one came in at 12.25 a.m. Wednesday. Uh, The title of this email is Quality Time. Wanda... I know I may not be your actual father, but I'd still love to catch up with you and Pietro, dot, dot, dot. Huh. 
you know, those are written so strangely, I, I, <laughs> I have a hard time believing that they're legit. Um, unless, you know, they're trying to lure Wanda into some sort of a trap. Um, let's look at uh, the beasts first here. He says, Hank again. Which means that this isn't the first time he's reached out So I don't know how often he's reaching out Maybe he's doing this every single day Trying to get Wanda to use a Krakoan gate To see if uh, see if it works Maybe he doesn't believe that she's not a mutant I don't know um, I like how he puts you're not technically a mutant So does that mean that she is in some way a mutant? I don't know I don't know I think that uh, I don't know if that's leading anywhere and it also just sounds so weird. Uh, I mean, we know how Beast is acting in X-Force here. He's basically a villainous mad scientist at this point. Um, I don't know. That's interesting. And Magneto's, um, I may not be your actual father. It doesn't sound like Magneto talking, does it? I, I wonder, like, <laughs> maybe it's Beast... Uh, hacking into Magneto's email account I don't know, maybe we'll find something else out Somewhere down the line here But definitely interesting little bits of uh, information here To, uh, to you know, mull over a little bit I wonder if this will be something that is uh, That we'll see more of in Strange Academy I don't know if Strange Academy is an ongoing I assume since this is issue What is this? Issue 5 of Strange Academy It well, issue 5 of Strange Academy might be the last issue of Strange Academy for all I know I know Marvel's doing the 5 issue limited series now But uh, I'll have to keep an eye out uh, Because I guess if these pages start piling up We'll have to actually uh, dedicate an entire episode to it But uh, we'll keep an eye out We will keep our an eye out And I want to thank Evan so much for keeping me in the loop here With uh, a series I never knew existed And uh, some information that might bear fruit down the line So thank you so much but that will do it for the mailbag here. We got one little piece of news. Yes, I did my uh, my weekly uh, uh, what is it pilgrimage to uh, Bleeding Cool. Uh, you know, with uh, gritted teeth, I checked to see if there was any X news worth sharing here. And uh, well, no, not really. Uh, there's news, but not really X Men news. There's a new host for the Phoenix. Huh. Heroes Reborn Number One's cover reveals that the new host for the Phoenix is Echo. Really? Really? Okay. I guess um I guess we lost this one, folks. I guess we no longer have the Phoenix as an X character anymore. <laughs> I guess it's just a a Marvel or Avengers character from this point on. So we uh we don't have the Phoenix to kick around or to be kicked around by anymore. Oh well. So yeah, Echo is the new Phoenix. Um, now we know, and uh, knowing is half the something. But that, my friends, will do it for today. If anybody would like to write in and chat me up about anything, if you want to tell me, give me a hot tip on a book we should check out for the show, if you have a bit of news and a bit of X news that I. I'm ignorant too. Please feel free to hit me up and let me know, and uh, we can discuss it on the show. You can find me quite easily. I'm at on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts, show notes, and X Lapsed Origins over at chrisoninfiniteearths.com. There's also X Lapsed dot chrisoninfiniteearths.com. And uh, there's our little Facebook group where we're having some fun chats and conversations. That's 90s X-Men on Facebook. 
And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available on all your noise aggregation devices and applications. With that, we'll finally do it for today. I want to thank you all so much for sharing some time with me today and going a little bit off the beaten path with an issue of Runaways. I hope it wasn't too far off the beaten X path, and I hope uh, maybe we opened some eyes to a book they might have ignored or maybe didn't even realize existed because uh, up until a few months ago, I didn't know there was a Runaways volume myself. So uh, there you go. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh